So before we dismiss the kids, I want us to stop just for a moment. And um, each each year since we've been around as a church, uh, we have gone on an adventure together. called We call it Merge Christmas Kids. And the way it started was pretty simple. Uh, one of the schools, the M.J. Miller Elementary School that we were serving, uh, we had told them, hey, if there's areas that we could serve you, let us know. And the first year we were around, they, they had called us and they said, hey, uh, we have these families that they missed out on some of the angel tree gifts and some of the organizations that schedule uh, angel trees. We were wondering if perhaps uh, you guys would be willing uh, to take on some of these families. And we said, absolutely, just, just bring them on. And, um, and I, I could be wrong, but, but around, I think that first year, we were in between like 20 and 30 kids that, that we had the opportunity to serve. And now, if, if you were there with us, you'll remember uh, 20 to 30 kids might have been more people than our church even had uh, at the time. And, and so we took that on. And, and we have always strived as a church to, uh, to lift more than our body weight when it comes to service. Um, though we have always been small, that has never been an excuse to not serve the people in our community. And, uh, and throughout the last, uh, going on 10 years this January, uh, we have uh, had these, these years where uh, there was 20, and then there was 50, and then we had one year there was close to 200, and then 75. And, uh, and, and every year we've never set out saying, okay, this is how many kids we are able to serve, this is how many kids we want to serve. We've just said, God, we believe you've given us a purpose for service. So whoever you bring to us, we will gladly serve. And so this year, as we've been uh, striving to earn the right to serve uh, what will be our new school in our new school district, uh, I sat down a couple weeks ago with the counselor and said, okay, you know, um, this is what we've done in the past. Uh, This is what we would love to do. Uh, And she said, absolutely. And and so the, the... the city has a program that's being ran uh, to serve the kids in their community. Uh, and I should say this. Um, we have gifts up here. And, and another core belief of ours is that um, everybody needs a soft place to land when life gets hard. Uh, and, and that's what we get to do today. We get to do a small part of that. Because there's families right now that are laying up at night trying to figure out how they're going to give their kids a Christmas. Uh, and, and we long to be the kind of people that say, hey, if life is hard, let us provide a soft place just for the moment. And we do it in hopes that one day as we build relationships with families, that we could talk to them about the most important decision they will ever make. Uh, that we would get to express to them their desperate need for Jesus. That we would get to tell them just how much in love God is with them by sending Christ. And so I sat down with the counselor and, and she said, uh, it, was, it was really funny, I might have told most of you this, uh, she sat down and uh, and she gave us a spill, and we talked about the dates and, and how we were going to work out uh, the, the logistics of it. And, and she goes, so how many kids do you think Merge would be able to serve? Uh, and I said, well, how many do you have? And she goes, like 20. And then you could, like with bated breath, she said that, that number. And I said, we'll, we will gladly take all of them if you'll let us. And she was like, are you serious? And I was like, oh, yes. That's going to be a problem to me to go back to our people and say, we have 20 kids. And I watched some of you elbow and bite and say, no, 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 no. I get to serve the kid this year. You get to do whatever. Um, 
And I know I've had discussions with, with some mergers about that's all we're going to get this year. And I've always encouraged them, we'll find, find another adventure this year to go on. Uh, and that's fine. But here's what I want us to do uh, today as we get to pray over these gifts. We get to realize that, that each bag here represents a heart. That, that we care about numbers because we care about people. That each one of these bags represents a kid who gets to be served. And, and we give freely because we've been given freely. We give without expectation to God because He has given us so much more than we deserve. That this Christmas some kids are going to be able to open up gifts who otherwise wouldn't get to open them up. There's going to be some moms and some dads that they get to give gifts to their kids that otherwise they wouldn't have the opportunity to give. And we do this in part because we believe in going on adventures of the God size. And my prayer is simply this that when it comes to the families, that they would experience the love of God with them, with these gifts. And then secondly, with the school, that we would do this job well so that we can do the next job better. Uh, that we would be able to earn the trust of the administrators and the counselors. That we would be able to walk in with purpose and say, we just want to love on you guys because we've been loved by God. And so what I want to do is, is I'm going to invite uh, anybody that would like to come up here to just kind of come lay hands on the gifts. We're going to, I'll pray over them. And then when I say amen, kids, this would be your opportunity to uh, be dismissed to your own time. And we'll talk about the stuff we're going to talk about with the adults today. So uh, you can go ahead and make your way up here if you'd like. Everybody's trying to find their gift. Uh, which was mine? Which was mine? Doesn't matter. You gave it away. It's, it's not yours anymore. <laughs> it never was. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's, let's, let us pray. Father, we come to you and we are just so thankful that you've allowed us to have purpose in life. We thank you that you've given us a body of believers that long to serve and to show love. We thank you that you've allowed us to to serve 20 kids this year. And we rest knowing that you give us opportunities for your glory. I pray you would uh, hinder us from believing that we could do more because we rest in faith knowing that you have provided us the exact kids that we should serve this year. We thank you for the gifts that we've been allowed to provide, we, we just acknowledge that it all comes from, from your bank account anyways. And we pray that through a simple pair of shoes or a pair of pants or a jacket or a shirt or just a toy, that your love would be expressed and felt. We wait in expectation to see you move. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right. You can head back to your seats. Kiddos, you are welcome to go to your own space.
as they are moving on out in the mass exodus, uh, if you have your Bibles, let's open them up uh, to Matthew chapter 27. Uh, Matthew chapter 27. Uh, we're going to go into chapter 28. In fact, uh, we are coming to our final few discussions in our journey uh, through the Gospel of Matthew. I think it's almost, I haven't done the exact count, uh, but I think we're close to two years uh, as we've approached uh, each and every verse of this Gospel. And, and we're going to wrap it up either uh, next week or the, or the week after. really just depends on uh, what we decide to do with the final few verses uh, when it comes to this Gospel because they should not be uh, read. I don't know if you've ever read a book that you're you're kind of done with, but you were like, I've already committed this much time, I might as well finish it. And then the last few chapters, you're just kind of skimming. Uh, we don't want to do that. We want to be very patient through these words. We want to let them read us. And, uh, and, and but, but really, what we've been doing uh, over these past 27 chapters is really just simply asking ourselves a question. Uh, in fact, this one question leads to the most important question we will ever asked. We've been, we've been walking with Matthew as he does one thing really well. Uh, he just puts Jesus on display. He just says, let me tell you what Jesus has done. He says, I want you to take your eyes and I want you to look at him. And then we've been simply asking ourselves this question, who is Jesus? Uh, who is Jesus? And I think by wading into these waters, we're drawn into a more important question of, of who is Jesus to me? Who do I believe Jesus is? And, and because there will never be a more important question to reconcile in your life. Uh, it, is, it is much more important than, uh, and much more pressing uh, than the career you choose and the house you purchase and the spouse you adventure through life with, whether or not uh, you get into breakdancing in 2018. Uh, it is by far the most important question uh, you will ever uh, ask yourself. In fact... Uh, it's, it's important because uh, the answer of it determines your eternal destination, but, but even now shapes how you live a life of meaningful purpose. Uh, and, and it gives us reason for why we strive to be uh, just the best and, and the most loving people the world has seen. Uh, it's why you wake up in the morning and why you strive to be the best and the most loving spouse. Uh, the best, most loving employee, the best and most loving employer, uh, the best and most loving parent and friend and just human being. Uh, and all of this is because you have, you have or you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And this is what we've kind of said. What Jesus does specifically in these chapters in this series changes everything. Uh, in fact, this is why Matthew has penned his eyewitness account into three years of Jesus' ministry. He's, been, he's invited us to explore and ponder and, and just question and understand that Jesus comes and accomplishes everything that's said about him so that we can know him intimately as both our Savior and as our Lord. And, and Because to know Jesus as healer or teacher or miracle worker is really to only know him in part. Uh, and, and now he plays those roles and he does those things as proof that he has come to set the captives free from the grip of sin that, that leads to death, uh, that, that he invites us to live lives of abundance. He invites us to live lives 
of great purpose. And my prayer continues being for us that some of us would see our need for Jesus for the very first time. And that we would render our hearts to Him. And then that others here who have given their lives to Jesus, that they would see their continuing need for the role of Jesus. Uh, that they would continue to see that Jesus is moving them into uh, and shaping them into really just a life worth living. Uh, because apart from Him, it, there really isn't any point to it. Uh, and and so, so this, is, this is why these verses this morning are such great cause uh, for celebration. Uh, and I think it's a mistake if a church only comes to these verses uh, when, it, when Easter comes around. Uh, in fact, it's a typical, and we, in fact, we're calling today's lesson, you know, it's, it's an Easter sermon in the middle of December. Uh, and uh, because, because these verses don't just pertain to the holiday. Uh, what happens in these verses changes our entire lives. Uh, and so as we approach them, let's just take a moment, let's stop, and let's pray uh, that our hearts should be ready for it. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you move us from one location to the next. And, and as we pursue your heart, that, that we would be drawn closer to it. That uh, Father, that as we read your verses today, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that he would change our hearts, that our affections for Jesus would grow more and more passionate. We ask these things because on our own, in our own abilities, in our own strengths, it's, it's really difficult for us to find that kind of passion. So we ask that you would move. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone say, Amen. Alright, so keep in context with our journey. Okay, last week we walked into some of the most difficult verses uh, that we find. We walked into some of the most difficult scenes of of all of mankind's history. Uh, in fact, Jesus, you know, we entered it, Jesus was standing before Pilate, and it seems that Pilate's kicking himself uh, for not calling in sick that day. Uh, you know, he found himself in a situation he was not thrilled about. Uh, and, and Jesus, through the trial, uh, through the, the questioning, uh, Jesus ends up being scourged, uh, which is just a fun word for saying beaten and whipped and mocked and, and ridiculed. And, and he's led to the cross where he will be nailed. He, he cries out in intense agony and sorrow uh, he breathes his last breath and he yields up his spirit again that's an imperative word uh, the sin and the evilness of man didn't beat Jesus this day uh, Jesus very specifically says I yield this I give myself as a sacrifice so, so Jesus never once is out of control in this scene he yields up his spirit and as he does Things get really interesting, right? Uh, earthquakes uh, shake the ground. Dead people rise from the grave. Uh, the curtain, this is what we celebrated last week as we remembered uh, through communion that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And what it symbolized for us is that, that no longer does sin have to keep us separated from God. And that's great cause for celebration. And, and now what happens in these verses this morning are as important as to what happened previously. Uh, I grew up in a culture, a church culture, where, where the cross was everything, which is vital. Um, and, and then the resurrection was like the icing uh, or the cherry on the top of the Sunday. 
that it wasn't necessary, but it was, it's a great aftertaste, you know? You're like, everybody likes that. Uh, and so, but what we have to understand here is we read biblically uh, that the resurrection is as vital as the cross. Uh, in fact, I read it uh, said this way, that, that the resurrection is the hinge on which the door of Christianity opens and closes. Uh, and so what I want to do here is we walk through uh, these verses. We're going to start in verse 57. Uh, but as we walk through it, uh, we're going to address the lesser part of the story. Uh, we're going to see what, what Matthew tells us is happening in the hearts of the guards and the church people. Uh, and then we're going to spend a good portion of our time uh, talking about just the incredible things that happened with the fact that Jesus came back from the grave. And so this is, this is where we are. Uh, chapter 27, verse 57. When it was evening, okay? So Jesus has yielded his spirit. He has breathed his last breath. Uh, the, the guards who are keeping watch have said, surely this is the Son of God. When it was evening, there, was, there came a rich man, okay? And now, right, I want you to circle those two words and then right out beside it, Isaiah 53, 9. Uh, because this is fulfilling a prophecy spoken of in that chapter, that he would be laid in the tomb with rich men. Okay? So there came a rich man from Arimathea uh, named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus, and then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. And then it says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary uh, were there, sitting opposite the tomb. We're going to talk about that in a second. Verse 62, the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, uh, which has always been fun, right, when we've seen them gather. Uh, and they said this, Sir, we remember how that imposter, talking about Jesus, said, While he was still alive, after three days I will arise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Uh, that's like a name, a bad name for a band, right? Worse than the first. Um, don't worry about it. It's just in my... I'm just working through band names in case I want to start one. Um, Verse 65, uh, Pilate said to them, uh, you have a guard of soldiers. Uh, go make it as secure as you can. I love it. He's like, no, you do it. You got people. You have your own muscle. Uh, so you go take care of it. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and, and setting a guard. Now let's, let's talk about a few things, okay? Uh, so when, when the Bible says uh, they set a guard, a guard is a group of 16 troops. Uh, they are highly trained. Uh, they are working round-the-clock security. So this isn't like Barney Fife just kind of sitting on a stool next to a rock. Okay? Um, the intent here is that there would be enough guards around to keep others from breaking in to take the body, at least with, not without a fight. Uh, and so now the next thing we need to know is that when it comes to sealing the tomb, uh, the way it works is simple. You would take a cord of rope and you would wrap it around the stone in between where the stone and the cave met. And then you would take a wax and you would seal it and then there was a, a seal that you would put on. And the idea is this, that if you break the tomb, uh, if you break the seal, Rome will break you. Uh, that, that's the intent. They didn't want people messing with it. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, the reason why Mary and the other Mary uh, are uh, opposite of the tomb is because Roman law prohibited uh, grieving someone put to death. 
And so they were as close to Jesus as legally they could be. Uh, and now, pay attention because something really neat's about to happen. Uh, now, after the Sabbath, we're in verse 28 now. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to see the tomb. Okay? And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. In my mind, uh, I like to think this angel was really cool and small. Uh, and as he's sitting on the tomb, his legs are just kind of kicking. Right? Uh, he's not having any problem with this day. Uh, in fact, he's going to do a really cool thing. And he sat on it, and his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Okay? So they're standing, they see it, fear, then they just fall over, and they have one eye open. Right? They're like, like dead men. But the angel said to the women, uh, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. In fact, you could circle those words. That's a big, that's a big statement. He is not here, for he has risen, and he has said, as he said, "Come see the place where he lay." Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. All right. Now let's let's just put a pin just for a moment uh, into. Uh, the Mary's uh, moves. And, and we're going to come back to that in a second. Let's jump to verse 11 uh, because we, we need to wrap up the lesser scene so that we can uh, really uh, see on display the lack of repentance of man's heart uh, when it comes face-to-face with overwhelming evidence. Uh, so, so while they were going, okay, talking about the, Mar- the Mary's, behold, some of the guard went into the city and they told the chief priests and all that had taken place all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. So they walk in and they say, um, craziest thing happened today at work. Uh, this angel descended from heaven, rolled the stone away, uh, and uh, Jesus isn't there anymore. Verse 13, and they said, so the, the elders tell the soldiers, tell people, his disciples came by night, stole him away while we were asleep. And, and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And now here, here's what I, there's one thing I really love about this scene. The angel descends, moves the stone, right? He's sitting on the rock. The guards see it. They are filled with terror. They are paralyzed with fear, and they are like dead men. And the angel sees Mary and Martha and says, hey, ladies, don't fear. Don't worry. But he says nothing to these guys. He looks like, play dead. That's the job. You girls, hey, don't worry about it. You'll be okay. You guys, play dead. That's what you do. Alright? There's like, there's like no compassion uh, for the, from the angel for these guys. And so, so the guard's story and the actions of the chief priest, it, it brings us a little surprise. Uh, they have not changed character at all through this entire story. Uh, their decision boils down to two lanes. Either they believe what is happening and that Jesus is telling the truth, or they deny that it happened, and they continue in their own um, attempt to be their own gods. Uh, and so they choose the lesser road. They, uh, the chief priests, they, they pay off the guards to keep the truth from coming out. 
even in the face of what seems to be overwhelming evidence. Jesus has done exactly what he says he would do. In fact, the most impossible thing that he proclaimed was going to happen has actually happened. And yet, they still say, no, no, no. Because if Jesus is Lord, they can't be there. And that's, that's the conflict in the heart of every person. Someone has to be Lord. And Jesus says, I am a perfect Lord. I will lead you into the most healthy places. I will, I will grant you strength and, and insight that you would not otherwise have. But yet, the tension is, I still want the control. But that, that's not the power of the passage. In fact, it's the lesser part. For that, we're going we're gonna to go back up to verse 5. And we're going we're gonna to turn our eyes to the footsteps of Jesus. And I, I love this scene. It's, it is, oh, it's been so fun this week preparing because I'm like, I can't wait to share this. I almost called everybody on Saturday and said, hey, let's sleep in on Sunday, get this thing going. Uh, meet me Saturday afternoon. So, so verse number 5, But the angel said to the women, uh, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, as he said. And this says, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And I, I love the invitation the angel gives the Marys. Because this is the invitation of the gospel. This is the invitation of the good news. He simply says this, come see for yourself. Right? He says, he says come on. I invite you to come see for yourself that there's no body in there. Where there was a body, there no longer is. Don't take my word for it. Come investigate the scene. See that Jesus was telling you the truth. That, that, that the gospel is not wishful thinking or just taking someone's word as truth. And I think this is part of the struggle that we have in our witness that, that we think we have to convince people of what we believe is true. All we have to do is say, hey, come see for yourself. Come investigate the claims of Jesus. All I do is serve as a witness. This is what happened in my story when I understood my desperate need for Jesus. So, so the invitation, is, is, it, says, it says, press in. It says, it says, come to Jesus. See that you can find peace and joy and purpose that no one, no thing can better provide. So, so, so the invitation is first, come see, but then that's not all that the angel says to the marriage, right? He says, then go. It's the first thing. And when you see and when you believe, then you go. That, that's verse 7. Once you see what Jesus has done, then you go and be part of this incredible story that is being told. That, that you share that information with those who haven't seen. And you invite them to see for themselves. You go into places where, where you are most needed and, and that you can do the most good because those who are far need those who are close to guide them in. So you don't say, hey, take my word for it. You don't say, believe in me as I believe in Christ. You say, hey, come see. And as you've experienced to come see, then you go. And, and we, we come and we see Jesus, and after we do, our desire becomes that we would go tell what has happened. And, and these women... Uh, 
uh, from all accounts that we've seen, they just deeply love Jesus. They deeply. So it doesn't cause them like any tension in their hearts to go tell because their love for him is so pure and so beautiful. They're like, how can I not go tell people what has happened? And this is what I love. They, as they are going, Jesus is going to meet them on the road. And I think there's a case to be made that, that had they stayed in the tomb, had they continued to play CSI, they would have missed Jesus on the road. Uh, that, 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 that Since the tomb wasn't where they were supposed to stay. Right? The angel doesn't say, hey, come see and stay. He says, come see and then go. Uh, and had they stayed in the tomb, uh, had they stayed in this revelation that Jesus is not alive and they choose not to go, I think there's a case to be made that Jesus would not have met them on the road as they were going. So here's where we go. Verse number 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Oh, what a great place to be, right? With fear and great joy. That's how you know you're on an adventure. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, that's Matthew saying, Hey, pay attention to what's about to happen because it's huge. And behold, Jesus met them and said, What's up, ladies? What is this? That's the Hebrew form of greetings. That's not true. I just I don't know. And they came, they came up and they took hold of his feet. And they worshipped him. If you like to circle in your Bible, circle those words. They took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And this is, okay, we're just going to interject this thought real quickly. Jesus looks at him and says, Go and tell my, what? Brothers. Okay? Go and tell my brothers. Now, if you remember, if you remember the last few moments. Last few hours of the disciples' lives was spent scattering. As Jesus is being persecuted, as he's being beaten, as he's being spit upon, as he is hanging on a cross, most of them are gone. Most of them have fled. And Jesus has told them, this is what's going to happen. And I love the fact that he says, go tell my brothers. Go tell them. Go tell our people that I'm back. And that I'm going to meet them in Galilee. And there they will see me. What an incredible promise. Matthew points out in verse 9 something important. It says they, they came and they took hold of his feet. Yeah, that would be, that's an interesting inclusion uh, to the story. And the reason that he says this is to give us tangible evidence. That, that Mary and, or the other Mary, they're not having an, a hallucination. They're not having a vision that they tangibly are touching Jesus so that we can know He tangibly came back from the grave. That's imperative that we would understand that Jesus didn't come back from the grave as a ghost. Okay? Imperative. He says, I'm coming back from the grave. And so, so there, there, it's easy, it's easy to, to minimize or to skew the beauty and the power of Jesus on the cross and His resurrection. It is so easy. Uh, in fact, over these next couple of weeks, um, churches are going to do second-rate theater in an attempt to get us to understand our need for Jesus. 
They're going to have livestock. Um, they're going to have manger scenes. In a couple months, we'll have the Easter story shown. And it's all in this attempt. And, and what's easy when it comes to these stories, especially for the church, is that we would we would skew the beauty that's being told to us. That that, that Matthew describes the, in these verses, and it's more than enough to stir our affections for Christ. It is more than enough. That, that there, are, there are things the resurrection reveals to us. And there, there's two that, that I want to mention here that I think are crucial. Uh, and the first one is the first blank you can fill in your talk notes. Sorry I spoke for 30 minutes without giving you anything to do. Um, and it's this. That, that what the, the resurrection is showing us is that, number one, that, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was accepted. That, that it was accepted. That, that we die to sin in Jesus' death. That, that we are already dying, and physically we, we still are, but, but death is not our great enemy. Uh, what our great enemy is, is death that traps us in, because of sin. Uh, and, and Jesus was very honest about what he was doing and why he was doing it. That, that his sacrifice would release us from bondage. Uh, that had his sacrifice not been accepted, uh, God would not have raised him from the grave. And it would have not been a, a proper sacrifice. And so this is huge for us, that we can be forgiven of our sins in Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other way to be forgiven of your sins other than through Jesus. And he says it very clearly. The fact that there is a way is staggering to me. And so, so sin is the, the barrier between me and an unhindered relationship with the Father. And, and I can experience the full love of God because He has put it on display by sending Jesus. I, I don't have to wonder if Jesus was enough because God brought Him back to life so that I may live with purpose today in union with Him. That, that's what the first part of the resurrection tells us. And then the second part is that Jesus' resurrection from the grave is both powerful and it's personal. Okay? It's both powerful and it's personal. Now we're going to explore this a little bit more in detail uh, next week, but what happens next for in, in Matthew's Gospel is that Jesus is going to be sitting around with His disciples and He's going to give them what, what we call the Great Commission. But as He starts it, He looks at them and He says these words. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay? All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. So that, that's what it means in the New Testament when Peter says that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God in, in Acts chapter 2. Uh, when Stephen comes in and says, as he's being stoned to death for his faith, that he, see, he says, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God of God in Acts chapter 7. It's when Paul comes in and tells us that Christ is seated at the right hand of God in Colossians chapter 3. And when Hebrews says that Christ endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, that's, that's Hebrews chapter 12. When Jesus says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, he says, I am sitting beside the Father. I am in the seat of ultimate authority next to Him. The right hand of God is the place of ultimate authority uh, along with God. And, and Paul says that, that He is there uh, because in 1 Corinthians He says, 
says he's there because he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. That's that's the purpose. And, and so so the resurrection of Jesus restores Christ to a place of triumph, all authority over all things. That's what it does. Because remember, we had said in the moment of, of Jesus' agony, as he shouts out, My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? That for the first time ever has been taken away from him. Because he's bearing the weight of our sins. He is now separated from the Father. And the fact that God has proven, has, has approved his sacrifice and raised him back, it restores what he was separated of in those three days. And so, so from there, he works out all of his saving purposes in the world with, with authority over politics and government and industry and business and science and education and entertainment and media and weather and stars and light and energy and life and death. It's from that place right now in this moment that Jesus operates over all authority, with all authority. And his cause cannot fail. Cannot. Will not. That, that if you have all power and you have all authority and you cannot die, your cause cannot fail. You don't have an enemy because nobody can compete with you. And this is a great reason for why we can trust in Jesus, why we can follow Jesus, that He cannot fail. Sin and death and hell and evil and Satan cannot defeat the purposes. He, he will win. He says that. He has never once lied about anything. And when he says, I will win, we can believe in faith that that's true. Because never once has he given us a cause to not believe that. Uh, in fact, so this, this is a good reason why we trust him, why we follow him, uh, that, that it's suicide to oppose him or ignore him. And this is the tragedy that we see playing out in the hearts of the Pharisees and the chief priests. This is their own undoing. But, but to win us over... Jesus ends his time on earth and Matthew ends his gospel with a very personal, promise-based truth of the resurrection. In fact, Jesus will say this in verse 20. We'll get there next week. But he will give his disciples a task that he gives us today. He says, all authority has been given to me. Here's what I want you to do. Go make disciples. I want you to teach them. I want you to remind them. And then he gives them this very personal promise. And he says, I am with you even to the end of the age. Because I will be with you till the end. Because he rose from the grave, he is with you right now. And some of us get that. Some of us are like, ah, okay. That sounds churchy. In fact, Piper, John Piper says it this way. Because here's, here's the practical value of his promise. That, that you might take the truth of Christ's authority over all things and just turn it into a, a theological problem. Uh, well, if he has authority over the world, then why is it such a mess, right? You ever pondered that question? You ever had somebody ask you that? Or, or if he has authority over life and death, then, then why, does, uh, why did my child die? Or why did my wife die? Or why did my mother die? Why? Because isn't it easier if he just doesn't do that? But Piper says there's another way to respond to the power and the authority of Jesus. He says, if you will, and I, and I believe Jesus calls us to this, that, that if you will, you can see it 
has the power and the authority to free you from sin and fear and greed so that when you trust His promise to be with you, you are unstoppable in your love. That, that if He's with you to the end, and if He has all authority in the universe, then you can love and you can serve and you can sacrifice and you can never lose in that endeavor. Being Lashing out in love is never the wrong idea. That, that this is the practical effect of the resurrection of Jesus when you experience Him as displayed in every page of God's Word. That, that when Jesus says, I have come to set you free, when He says, I've come to give you life and life to the abundance, it's not life for easy street, it's life with purpose. And it's life to understand that He has gifted you with an incredible gift. Love. Now again, we, we, in our society, we take that much too cheaply, this day of age. Uh, we, give it a, we give it away not understanding how precious it is. We withhold it, not realizing that as believers, we don't have that right to withhold love from anybody. Let's we'll start, we'll start wrapping this up. So, so if, if, if you trust Jesus to be powerful for you, uh, and, and you trust Him to be personally there for you, then, then no matter what, you'll be able to live your life, not just for your own private interest, but, but towards all the needs your heart beats harder for. And, and, and all those moments when your heart beats and it's trying to move you in the direction of service and love and just pouring out of yourself for the sake of the gospel. That that you would be able to be part of a life that when people see your actions, they don't see what you're doing. They see the effect that Jesus is having on your life and it's pouring over to them. That, that if Jesus was not all-powerful and not personal with us uh, to the end, and if we don't trust Him to be that for us, we, we will simply ignore the needs of others and we'll live for our own glory. We will make our story about ourselves. If Jesus isn't, if Jesus doesn't come back, we say, okay, well then... Right, I guess technically his death can make us forgiven, but we're still dead, so what's the purpose? But this is not the story that we've been called into. This is not the story of love and purpose and freedom through which Jesus has made available to us. This is why he came. This is why he was crucified. This is why he rose from the dead and he right now has all authority and has promised to be with us to the end of the age. And because the desire of God is to create a people whose sins are forgiven, whose hearts are full of the love of God and who are so emboldened by the fact that Christ triumphs that they spend their lives risking and sacrificing and loving to help others know and enjoy the greatness of Christ forever and ever and ever. There are so many little stories that we make so major in our lives. And the resurrection comes and stands in triumph over all of them. You say, well, I want to be a good spouse. Yeah, be a good spouse. But don't do it in your own strength. Because in your own strength, you're a horrible spouse, even on your best day. 
You do it with the strength that, that Christ gives you. You do it because you've been shown love. In fact, 1 John says, says we love not because we, uh, we... We love because we've been shown love first. Well, I want to be a good employer. I want to, I want to build something. I want to make a legacy that lasts. And, and here's the thing. You, you can do that in your business. You can create a company that when you die, doesn't die with you. But that's not a legacy. A legacy has character and it has purpose. And it reaches into people's hearts and it changes them. And for the Christian, we have no better story to tell. When Christ died, He is risen. Because of that, I have life. That's our story. Our desire this week is to love God by... Please stand with me. we wrap up today, I just want to make a couple things available to you. You need prayer. Troy and Jessica and Keith and Kim, they'll be up there. They want to, we want to pray with you. We believe it's too easy to take on um, struggles by ourselves. And it doesn't help us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I pray over the last, uh, however long I've been talking, that you would, uh, you would hear something very clearly. That God loves you so much that He sent Jesus. And Jesus loves God so much that He was willing to die for you. And that because of His death and because of His resurrection, we can have a relationship with the Father. And if that's you today, there's no better time to give your heart to Christ than right now. If you just want to stop and take some moments to say thank you to Jesus for His sacrifice on the cross and His resurrection... We have some communion elements available to you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you love us when we are very unlovable. I pray that the beauty of the resurrection would would light up our, our hearts and our eyes and it would open our mouths. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.